1: Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto, and if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up
0: before we get into the show, this podcast contains general financial information only. Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast.
1: It is good to be back, Owen, for our first ETF deep dive of 2023.
0: Yes. If you like us going into depth about an ETF or a share, like a company, let us know. Just let us know which company you want to cover or we want we will cover etf whatever we've covered what have we covered in the past called fortescue we've covered commonwealth bank covered woolworths we've covered a bunch that's, of etf vas, 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 VAS. VAS. yeah Ethy, Ethy etf yeah i think there was one more in there. i can't remember Oh, clean and CL&E. i think that was the first one that we covered on the show uh, back in it might have been back in the not day healthy. Yeah, but we've covered a heap of different ETFs, and today we're covering the GlobalX Hydrogen ETF, or HGEN. HGEN is the ticker symbol. This is a special note on this one. We're recording it on the twenty seventh of February. Numbers may change. It's also important to understand that GlobalX, the company that provides this ETF to investors, is a sponsor of the show and has been our f- longest running sponsor because it was bought. By, it bought out ETF securities, which was our first ever long-term sponsor on the show. So we don't necessarily pay to say good things or bad things. We um, include episodes in our long-term sponsorships where we will cover ETFs, but this one just happens to be on HGen. So that's important to keep in mind.
1: Yeah, and it's not a recommendation from either of us or the team, and for full disclosure, neither of us own this ETF.
0: That's it. So if you're happy with that, let's continue on. So we're talking about this because it is extremely topical and the community likes us to talk about thematic ETFs, which we'll get to what they are in a little bit. But Kate, maybe just from the highest level, what is the Global X Hydrogen ETF?
1: Yes. So HGEN, which is the ticker code. So if you're searching in your brokerage account, you're going to type in Mm HGEN. So I'm just going to refer to it as the hydrogen ETF during this podcast because HGEN sounds a bit strange. Mm -hmm. So hydrogen seeks to invest in companies that stand to benefit from the advancement of the global hydrogen industry. So that's what the ETF provider says on their website. So we're investing in companies that are involved somehow in the production of hydrogen, whether it's uh, creating it, creating the batteries, transporting it, improving the fuel cells, the electrolyzers all different parts of the process. But there's 30 different companies that I wasn't familiar with any of them uh, because I haven't invested in any of these individual companies. But there's 30 different companies that are somewhat involved in the hydrogen energy production process.
0: Okay. So 30 companies, if you're looking to get exposure to this thematic, so this theme of yes. hydrogen Uh, One of the first things that people will look at is the management fees. So this is what we call an MER for short, management fees, management expense ratio. It's around 0.69% per year. So 0.69% divided by 365 days tells you how much would be taken out of your ETF automatically. You don't have to pay that fee. It comes out of your investment automatically and it's reflected in the share price of the ETF. So anything that I see, Kate, that's above 0.5%, which is the the average for the stock market here in Australia for ETFs, anything that's above 0.5%, I tend to immediately think like it's like a flick in my head and goes, I think I'm looking at a thematic, a thematic ETF and I think I'm looking at an ETF to go in my satellite, not in my core holdings, So not in that like really low cost core, because it's just not yeah. as low cost. Um, so... First up, you know, we can see that fee. The the ETF started in 2021, late 2021. It's about 64 million bucks invested in it. So that's not like, that's everyone's money inside the ETF itself. As you said, around 30 holdings, give or take. Um, And if you do own this ETF, you will most likely receive a letter or an email from Computershare. So Computershare does all the admin. So if you need to log in and change your bank account details or so on and so forth, you would go there. and the issuer, which is the final thing that people obviously know because it's in the name, is GlobalX, which is the new name for ETF securities plus a heap more now. Yep. So now that we've got through the, kind of the fast facts there, Kate, why does this thing exist? Why would anyone be interested in hydrogen? It sounds like a chemistry class from year <laughs> nine. Um, what's the big deal?
1: Yes, it definitely took me back to high school chem class with... Uh, H2O being the water (laughs) molecule, Mm -hmm. and splitting hydrogen out to use it as a form of energy. And I did a little bit of a deep dive. So I'll share some of the facts that I found out about hydrogen because I didn't really know much about it. I haven't studied any science. So I just did a deep dive into a lot of uh, expert resources and things that I'll include in the show notes if this is something that interests you.
0: Yeah, so Kate's now got a PhD in hydrogen, uh, and she's going to give us the the industry overview. Um, No, I did this as well, because I previously spoke to Kanish from GlobalX about HGEN. I think that was over on the Investors podcast, about the time that it first launched. And there was a bit of a buzz around at the time, because everyone's like, wow, this is... People were thinking, wow, this is a solution to energy and climate change, and this is one of the big pillars So I think that's where people get really excited. So throw some facts at us about hydrogen.
1: I mean, I I did get a bit excited listening to all of this stuff, but Mm. over 75% of our universe is made out of hydrogen. So it's everywhere. It's flammable, colorless, and odorless, and it's 14 times lighter than air. And it's a great source of clean energy. But as I discovered, there's a catch because it doesn't exist on its own naturally. And it's combined with other elements like oxygen in the form of water, or as a part of fossil fuel like coal or gas. But it's helpful because we can use hydrogen as fuel for transport or heating, a way to store electricity, or as a raw material in industrial processes. So basically you've got to get it out of whatever it's stuck to. Yes, so there's a few different methods to do that. But once we have the hydrogen, it can be used for I mean, I was looking at the International Energy Agency and they had a nice little graphic, but it can be used for the steel, chemical industries. It can be used in shipping, in rail, in heating, in power generation. So it has a lot of uses.
0: So it can basically be used for storing, although that's maybe up for debate, storing energy and powering things. Um, and it's just like a clean fuel And it. We'll get to it in a minute, but seems like... The byproduct isn't as bad as some of the other byproducts that you have from other fuel types like fossil fuels.
1: Yeah, and I started hearing about all different colours of hydrogen. So I was hearing about black and grey and blue and green. So I went on that deep dive and common types of hydrogen right now is where they use fossil fuels to strip the hydrogen out, which is the cheapest form right now. But the byproduct is carbon dioxide. So there's black hydrogen, which uses black coal, Brown hydrogen, which uses brown coal, and grey hydrogen, which uses gas.
0: Okay, so they try and strip it away from that. But when this first came to my attention, it was through Andrew Twiggy Forrest, who's the billionaire Australian who started Fortescue. He then did his PhD and talked, looked about climate change, and he talked a little bit about green hydrogen, which is it seems to be the thing that everyone likes to talk about. It's green hydrogen that seems to be the one that's like the best dressed because it doesn't emit. It doesn't seem like it emits a lot of pollution.
1: Yeah. So everything I listened to it did say green hydrogen was kind of the the best use case scenario, but it had probably a lot more challenges and it was a bit more expensive. And green hydrogen, instead of using coal, they run an electrical current through water, which is a process called electrolysis, mm-hmm. to break up the water to hydrogen and oxygen. So going back to that yep. high school chem H two O molecule. Uh, but you need this electricity. you need electricity so to
0: put that electricity through the water.
1: Process, yeah. So if it's using electricity created from sustainable sources like solar and wind farms, then it could be classified as truly green. But at the moment, not all of the electricity is coming from renewable sources. In fact, only a small amount is.
0: Yeah, because I've seen this that suggested that maybe you could have like a solar farm at a mine site, which then does sends the electricity through the water and then creates the hydrogen, which then the hydrogen powers the mine. Does that make sense? Yeah. So then you can kind of have two things at one. So you have like the, the the panels from the sun, and then you have the green hydrogen. So both of those working together to power something bigger. Yeah. Which seems to be what that suggests. What about blue hydrogen?
1: Blue hydrogen is made with gas, so I'm not really sure the blue part there, but it captures the carbon dioxide released during the process and it stores it underground. Okay. So it's expensive and apparently it's not that popular, but...
0: Right. So ultimately it seems like black hydrogen, brown hydrogen, grey, blue, and then green is like the ultimate for people.
1: And according to the International Renewable Energy Agency, which they said this at the end of 2021... Almost half of the global hydrogen production is coming from natural gas, 27% from coal, 22% from oil as a byproduct, and only 4% is coming from electrolysis, so being green hydrogen at the moment.
0: So we're hoping to invest a lot more, it seems, into that 4% to then make that industry thrive on its own. And one of the things that happens with innovation, many people will know, is that once the people tend to underestimate the potential of something that is truly disruptive. So they tend to think like, oh, well, it's very expensive now. Just think about electric cars. Electric cars will never be a thing where they are, and the cost of production is coming way down. So I guess there are some, I guess, challenges. I think, did you want to read this quote from the Australian government or... Do we want to jump onto the ETF?
1: There's the Australian Renewable Energy Agency and the acronym is ARENA, A-R-E-N-A. So, they have a lot of resources they're putting into here. There's heaps of research papers. They even have their own podcast. So, I mean, oh, wow. if, you, if this is interesting to you, go and have a look there. But I'm just going to read this from their site. They said, hydrogen energy can be stored as a gas and even delivered through existing natural gas pipelines. When converted to a liquid or another suitable material, hydrogen can also be transported on trucks and ships. This means hydrogen can be exported overseas, effectively making it a tradable energy commodity. According to research conducted for us, demand for hydrogen exported from Australia could be over three million tons each year by twenty forty, which could be worth up to ten billion each year to the economy by that time. Yeah, wow. So I mean that's their pitch. That's the yeah. the website's all about promoting this, so
0: yeah. It's, um, so the big picture is we can use hydrogen to replace some existing things. And it seems like, the, from what I can see online, it seems like the majority of this could be used to do more industrial use cases rather than, say, uh, cars or those types of things. Perhaps yeah. where we've already got the storage. It the was to
1: support some of the processes where you can't use electricity yeah. necessarily to do everything. Yeah, um, which makes sense. But there's a lot of barriers facing the movement at the moment. There's still issues with speed, scale, and cost of producing green hydrogen because there's a lot of things involved, including how to store it, how to shift it, how to split it uh, effectively and without just creating another mess. Uh, The cost of the full supply chain and also every government's got different policies at the moment. So some are funding it more than others and Mm. it's quite challenging in that area.
0: Yeah, makes sense. So... Bringing this back down to the ETF, you can see why the hydrogen ETF exists because people want to get exposure to this th- trend, and this is the way all thematic ETFs tend to launch. Yeah, people there's start- an
1: idea. There's companies getting involved now. There's a lot of companies that have been created to solve different problems as part of the whole supply chain, and governments are putting money into this, which means more companies can start up, which then creates enough of a mem- mm. momentum. And there's enough people interested in hydrogen. Like I did look, there's a lot of TED Talks, there's a lot of YouTube videos, podcasts, research papers about hydrogen. So in all of that, there's enough interest to create a thematic ETF based off just one thing, which is hydrogen.
0: Yeah. So if we look at the data from the Perler community, uh, 442 Perlers are investing in HGEN. Um, We've got the majority of them are over 35. So that's a big one. Uh, 45% of the hydrogen ETF owners are women and 55% of men. If you're interested in this ETF, there's a chance that you own ACDC, which is another play on this kind of like renewable energy and sustainability. And VAS, of course, VDHD, of course, the semi-ETF, which does semiconductors, and VGS, which is global shares. So people seem to have mashed this in amongst like this thematic of decarbonisation, along uh, renewable energy lines as well yeah. as having their Yeah, It's interesting because you
1: can see those core ETFs in those those holdings as well.
0: Yeah. So Perla being a long term sponsor of our show, of course, as well. And you can view all the Perla community data on the Perla website. You don't have to be a member. You can I believe you can just see that. So um so the ETF is owned by investors who seem to it seem to suggest it's this kind of like this is a really good way to get exposure to this thematic of decarbonisation, climate change matters, etc. The ETF issuer is GlobalX. Uh, Glob- GlobalX acquired ETF Securities. So if you remember that name, uh, ETF Securities, you would have seen on the stock exchange, ETFS, and then the name of the ETF. Mm. So that was short for ETF Securities. Now it's GlobalX. So um, one of if you if you take the roots of ETF Securities, it's one of Australia's oldest ETF businesses, um, owned by the Tuckwell family. Um, had businesses all around the world and basically now it's kind of sold out of this business as, as far as i know um, and the owner of GlobalX is a company called Murray asset management so they're based in korea and they own a new york business which is global x etfs which is then runs the australian business so then you have um like this kind of chain but across all of that is over $500 billion uh, we've got here in the notes as of 2022. So, they manage a lot of money. They're a big ETF provider, massive uh, business globally. Inside of the ETF, you can see, and this is based off February 2023 data, Plug Power, Bloom Energy, Nela uh, ASA, duneson Fuel Cell, and a few other companies. Now, what's interesting about this ETF in particular, Kate, is that they have very discrete breakdowns of how things are held. So, they've got these businesses which they call pure play and the pure play um, hydrogen businesses, so these would be businesses that are directly involved in this, have a limit, and the businesses that are not directly related to this, so these might be businesses that have, you know, a part of their business which touches on hydrogen Mm. energy, they might get a smaller position. And then the the ETF is rebalanced. So that's the key thing to keep in mind, is that it's rebalanced regularly and basically what happens is it trims the positions of things that go overweight and then rebalances back into things that are underweight.
1: Yeah, and that's probably an important thing to keep in mind when you're looking at thematic ETFs is they often have some extra rules or criteria. Yeah. And so if something, if this kind of theme is very important to you, you want to know what the left and right of arc is. You want to know what companies they're going to be investing in and how they're going to rebalance the portfolio.
0: Yeah, so a pure play can have up to 10% and then it will you know, float around from there and then it'll be sold back down if it goes up or added to if it goes below. 10% of the portfolio will be in pure plays and 4% in near, what they call near pure plays. Um, as of the data recording, the majority of the companies are found in the United States around about 35%, followed by South Korea at 13% and, and the UK at 11%. And so one of the things that happens here, Kate, which is quite Uh, I guess a bit more in depth that people should know about is when an thematic ETF comes out, you can't just say, oh, look, does hydrogen. Cool. It was like that crypt ETF from BetaShares, which was a bit of a nightmare. Um, You've got to actually understand what are they investing in. And also the stage of the cycle. I think it was Global Exit showed us a chart that have like the, where the industry is in terms of its cycle, like in terms of, is it at the very beginning? Is it a few years in? Are they established companies? Are they mature companies? Like where do we sit on this spectrum of, of kind of like the theme? And for me personally, I think that the hydrogen theme is very early. When this ETF was launched, many of the companies didn't have, you know, price earnings ratio, P PE ratio, profit ratio, because they weren't making profits. Um, and so the valuation seemed extreme implying that a lot of people were baking in. Significant growth for these companies. But another thing that happens if we just go beyond that is then you have the way the portfolio is put together. So not only do you have how many companies are there and are they profitable, but you also have how do they put them all together and what rules do they use? Because that typically kind of reflects what's available in the market. Mm. So if you have a really like profitable industry with lots of small players, you might just have like a what we call market cap where it's just like every company can go in and the bigger ones get bigger pretty simple. Yeah. But if there aren't that many and you want to control certain things you might get equal weight whereas all of what that means is that all of the companies inside the ETF have the same weighting. Or in this instance what it seems like has happened is they've got a bit of both. So they're saying the pure play companies which focus on hydrogen get 10% And the non-pure players or near-pure players get 4%. And what we're basically saying is, well, there are some companies that are directly tied to hydrogen, but then there are some or many that could be considered to be playing in the hydrogen space. Mm. So they might have like 10% of their revenue. I don't know what the facts are, but um, it's put together by selective. But that's how you then end up with a portfolio where there are two different rules for for the different Hmm. companies. Uh, and that tells you something about the underlying industry in that it's probably really early. Yeah. And so that's the ETF provider, in this case, GlobalX, trying, I think, trying to protect against that. So we've kind of got three companies here. Did you want to um, read just the bio of the companies just to give people a flavour
1: of yeah. what they do? So one of the company that's quite large in this ETF, so it has just over 10% of the ETF is in this company, is called Bloom mm-hmm. Energy Corp. And that's uh, the ticket code BE on the NYSE. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's, I'm just having a look at now, it's over $4 billion US market cap. So
0: mm-hmm. yeah, seems pre- like a pretty big company. Decent sized company. Yeah. It's yep.
1: been around since 2001 and it manufactures and markets solid oxide fuel cells that produce electricity on site.
0: Yeah, so the company has raised over a billion dollars in venture capital f- funding before it went to the public markets. Um, It says the proprietary uh, solid oxide technology converts natural gas, biogas, or hydrogen into electricity without that combustion engine, resulting in low or no CO2 emissions. So customers, they claim to have a couple of big customers, including the likes of Adobe and Walmart. Uh, The next company is Plug Power, was founded in 1997. Uh, And it says, Plug Power is an American company engaged in the development of hydrogen fuel and systems that replace conventional batteries and equipment and vehicles powered by electricity. So it says it has an end-to-end ecosystem with 60,000 fuel cell systems and more than 185 fueling stations for a range of customer applications. Um, They call it, this is just the beginning of our green (laughs) hydrogen highway, (laughs) uh, which is quite a tagline. Yeah. But this is a slightly older business, but it um, it's a business that uh, is probably smaller in terms of revenue, I believe. Um, final companies, Air Products and Chemicals, or APD is the ticker symbol, founded in 1940. It's an American company. Uh, its business is involved in selling gases and chemicals for industrial uses. So it's got air products. And it's offer like liquid hydrogen and compressed hydrogen gas in a variety of purities and various modes of supply around the world.
1: So as you said, like this is. The air products and chemicals has been around for a much longer and it was doing a lot of things before mm. hydrogen even was a twinkle in the scientist's eyes. Yeah, because that's it. It's been involved. And even like looking up that company, it has a $62 billion US market cap. So,
0: Well, that's it. And you look at, um, say, uh, Plug Power. That's It's a bigger business in market cap terms, uh, but the revenue growth hasn't been consistent as this bloom. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so these are businesses all around kind of the ecosystem.
1: Yeah, sometimes they don't pop up for that. New trend, they just have been existing for a long period of time and then see the opportunity to add on an additional business line or to pivot into a new area.
0: Well, that's it, yeah. And so this might be like, say, like Woolworths for a long time had um, exposure as one of Australia's biggest pokies Mm. owners and so they they divested that. But when they divested their pokies and, and alcohol business, what they probably thought was, well, now we can go into ESG ETFs. Because we've got rid of that stuff the nasty stuff that no one really wants us to talk about
1: just package it off and, and sell, sell it, it to
0: someone else now we'll f- be found in, in a sustainability etf or a, you know whatever and so these things can happen too like you can find companies fall in and out because of acquisitions or divestments or so on and so forth like some of the etfs have rules like if 20 percent of revenue comes from x include it in the etf because uh, that's enough to qualify and it's not perfect all the time but you can see how they can put a portfolio together so i guess like how would you use the hgen etf in a portfolio we've already said that it's kind of it's a bit more expensive than a really low cost core etf um so you automatically i'm thinking well it goes probably on the, the outer side um the companies inside it are a bit are still emerging even though some of them are quite large as you mentioned kate they're still kind of emerging um, and there are certain rules around there one of the things that's a bit curious is that when you've got a small industri- when you've got an industry that's quite concentrated to just a few companies involved in this thing, it's okay to have rules to protect and diversify. But over time, what you actually want that ETF to do, or what you want your portfolio to do, if you think about it like that, is you want your portfolio to double down on the winners and exclude more of the losers. Mm-hmm. And the way you do that is you have to use a, you have to look at it through time and go, well, over time. I want my ETF to buy more of the winners. So how do we spot them? Well, maybe they're getting more sales. They're profitable. They're just getting bigger, like their market yep. cap. And so that's maybe something with this ETF probably doesn't capture much of. It still gets the 10% maximum weighting. But if you think of like the Vanguard VAS ETF, uh, just as a, a popular example and a contrast, that's just market cap, meaning that the biggest e- the biggest shares go inside it, and it just keeps holding those shares and lets them grow. Now, if you capped it all at ten percent inside the VAS ETF, you'd only get like I don't know how much it is, but you get a lot less BHP, a lot less Commonwealth Bank, for example. Um, And so that's how you get a different experience as a long-term investor. So all of this considered, it's it's, for me if I was going to use a HGen ETF, it would have to be in the satellite. It couldn't because it's too expensive for me to have it in the core. Um,
1: But it's also not. Diversified enough for your core. Yeah, I don't 30, think it's very concentrated in specific types of companies that could all yeah. be a- affected at once by policy or price changes.
0: Yeah, that's another really good point, guys. So, like in the US, you know the the massive spending to for sustainability yeah. um, by the government and that could change. Like, go the other way, you know countries around the world could change.
1: And that's the thing with thematic ETFs, you have to be prepared for a bit more volatility because you can see much more substantial swings in prices depending on a whole heap of different factors because all of those companies, kind of they're all part of a similar supply chain and they get impacted by each other.
0: Yeah, well, take for example, imagine for example that you invested in a creative writing ETF and it only invested (laughs) in companies or whatever. You're really imagining some strange ETFs today. But then imagine... (laughs) ChatGPT comes along, which Ooh, is there's a bot yes. that writes articles for you or poems or whatever poetry you said before. <laughs> well, all of a sudden, all the companies in there are just like, wow, we're profits? our profit's going to be way down. Yeah, And so, you've got to think about it like that. Like, if you're investing in an idea and then all of a sudden something comes out of left field, I think that's the part where people get so wrong with their ETF investing and so wrong with their direct stock investing or any type of investing. It's, you don't know what you don't know. And people tend to think, well, this is a great idea, blah, blah, blah. And I think the worst case scenario is this. Yeah, but you haven't th- thought about things you don't know. And it's possible. So that's why like Drew, uh, my co-host on the Australian uh, Investor Podcast, is always a fan of saying, you've got to prepare for any future. And so that's where you have a diversified portfolio. And so you want your core to be really diversified. And then around the outside, you can take these small thematic bets. And I dare say that's how most people are treating this ETF. They might have it alongside the ACDC ETF, which is a super popular ETF, a super popular play on that lithium and all that sort of stuff. Um, And so I would say if I was to choose, I'd probably go with the more established ACDC ETF uh, for that exposure. But this is so this would be an even smaller position than that for me because it's not quite, it doesn't have the track record yet. I'd rather wait a little while, maybe wait a a year or two.
1: And that's probably worth mentioning, like satellite positions aren't all the same sizes for us. Yeah. If we um, have quite strong conviction or it's a very yeah. popular ETF with a long track record, it could be a larger satellite position. And you might have one that's just 1% of your portfolio. That's
0: it. Like, so a lot of people ask us, like, how big is your core and satellite? Well, maybe your core portfolio is 80% of your money. But in the last 20% that's left over for your satellite, you might put half of that in ETFs and then half in... Twenty different stocks, and you might end up with like heaps of random stuff in there. But some of the things that are less random might be smaller positions. Um, so, like for example, Apple might be a bigger position than say this ETF or something like that. Something that you know it's they've been around for a while, kind of thing. Um, and so, it's it's worth noting like there isn't much of a long-term track record to golf just because it's so yeah, new. Yeah,
1: because we usually do like especially with core ETFs, like to look at long-term performance. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I need for, for to make a recommendation for our course service, our RAS course service, is that subscription. It would need any ETF. It needs unless I'm like have extreme confidence in it, three or five years minimum. Mm. And that's a rule that like a lot of um, professionals take in the industry is like three to five years minimum. Um, so I would just say that for the most part, it's really important. Um, mm-hmm to just carefully consider where things go and don't necessarily get caught up in a thematic ETF offering a theme and thinking that you have to invest in it. Or if you do, just start really small and think about it like this. If this hydrogen ETF, oh, not the hydrogen ETF, but the hydrogen thematic is going to play out over 10 or 20 years, which is probably what will happen, you've probably got 10 or 20 years to make your investment. And those companies will
1: also, if they do keep growing, will make their way into your normal U.S., S&P 500 ETF. They'll slowly climb.
0: Yeah, that's it. So they'll get bigger and bigger and bigger until they can be accepted into other ETFs.
1: Because that's interesting. Like if a theme does actually become, it's less of a theme and more of a reality, it just becomes normal to be invested in those companies in your ETFs.
0: Absolutely, it does. So this is not necessarily a knock on a h ETF for anyone that owns it. It's just that where it goes in a portfolio. Um, And I think for the most part, I think um, I like that this ETF was launched because it gives us a different way to look at companies in this industry and identify companies. And I think that's a great starting point for any investor is if you identify one of these thematic ETFs, go and look at the top 10 companies and go and read on each company for 10 or 15 minutes, 20 minutes, however, a couple of days, whatever, just to get a sense of what's in there and what do you truly own underneath the surface. Uh, There's some some brilliant articles online about the HGN ETF as well as the uh, GlobalX website. But if you do want to invest in this ETF, um, you'll need a broker. Yep. Just like any other broker, you uh, just like any other ETF, you'll need a broker to buy it. Uh, so you can we've got actually a couple yeah, of links in the show notes. The, some right.
1: of the examples of brokers that our community use include Comsec, Stake, Perla, SelfWealth, and Chersey's.
0: Yeah. Um there are, and there are plenty of others. Those are and we should just call out that Self Wealth is a sponsor of our investors podcast and Perla is a sponsor of this podcast, the Australian Finance Podcast. Again, we're just calling that out just to let you know. Um their long term sponsors have been for ages, so uh keep that in mind. But there is also a link in the show notes to uh, figure out which broker to choose, like how to figure it out. We don't actually make recommendations, but just like what do our community use and what are the, some of the features, yep. as well as the share registry. So how do you actually manage your ETF shareholding in HGM once you've made the acquisition and you've made that purchase for your portfolio? Like how do you do that? Um, and you can find a heap more information on HGM by going to the Global X website. The GlobalX website will tell you basically everything you need to know from what's inside it, what are the rules? There's also some like white papers and methodology and well, some articles. They're doing a lot of great articles there as well. So um, you can go and check that out. For me, Kate, like I don't have the HGEN ETF in my portfolio, but it's definitely one that's on my watch list for my satellite. Uh, I don't know about you. You seem to have gone down this deep, dark, the, the rabbit hole of HGEN and yeah, hydrogen. Yeah, I
1: think renewable energy is not something I had paid that much attention to before. Yeah. But after doing this multi-hour deep dive, I think I will. There's a few good podcasts, including Rewired by the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, Mm -hmm. Cutting Carbon by General Electric, and Platt's Future Energy. And there's a few other videos and quite helpful academic research where they're trying to make it more accessible websites, because I think it's just an interesting area to learn more about, especially if we're considering what the future of our energy and power sources is.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, there's some there's some great stuff out there. Um, there's some wonderful videos on YouTube about like what is actually green hydrogen. It was fascinating to watch the water kind of ripple through these like, uh, I think like electrodes or something.
1: Electrolyzers.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it's just kind of like how it shakes it out into hydrogen and how it can be used. It's really fascinating. And if you think about it, we're going to need multiple ways to solve our climate issues going forward. So, you probably, if you're a long-term investor, this is potentially one of the biggest thematics, like not just hydrogen, but like decarbonisation and the switch to more renewable sources is the biggest trend of our lives. Um, like pretty much no matter which way, maybe the, maybe the internet was pretty big, but um, this one's pretty big when you think about what's required and, and the spending involved, I've heard trillions of dollars, you know, needs to be invested, trillions. Uh, so you think about that, it's huge. Um, so, go and check out the HGEN ETF from GlobalX. Uh, Kate, that was a good deep dive. We talked about everything from what it is right down. Uh, there'll be more information inside RASCore. You can check out the best ETFs website. Kate, as always, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode.
0: If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a RAS Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week.
1: Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me?